Open up our Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to teach you on a subject that is not often taught on, and it may very well be the first time you've heard this, although I know in years past I've touched on this, which has to do with Christian liberty and food offered to idols and how we as Christians handle what seemingly are restrictions in Scripture with regard to dietary things. And in all of this, if nothing else, I want you to see how Jesus really has brought liberty to us through his death on the cross and brought freedom to us to be able to enjoy the things that God has provided. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 1, now touching things offered to idols. He's talking particularly about food. He said, we all have knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies or builds up. Now you're familiar with this language from 1 Corinthians 13. And Paul is saying that we all have some insight regarding this or regarding that. But what is much more important is not that you know a lot of things, but that you love a lot of people. Because knowledge will produce in you arrogance and pride and self-righteousness. But love seeks to build up the person being loved. So never forget that love is something we have to give away. Well, he continues in verse two. He says, if anybody thinks that he knows anything, he doesn't know anything as he ought. Now, that's that's a, a very nice way of saying you're dumber than you believe you are. That's what Paul is saying. He, he's saying that none of us know what we think we do, but I think all of us have met people who know everything. You know, we've probably we've had conversations with people that there's no subject on this planet that they can't display wisdom on. But no matter what we know, there's room for improvement. You may be the best cook or baker, but you can learn more. You may be the best mechanic but there's room for improvement. You may be the best carpenter or plumber or minister or anything, but there is always something we can do to become better. And so he says then, if any man loves God, the same is known of him. A very important bridge that leads into the discussion, because if we love God, then we'll love our neighbors the way we're supposed to. The love of God was shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Ghost. That's Romans 5. So the love we have toward him should be displayed towards people that are down here on planet Earth. Well, in verse 4, he says, concerning the eating of things that are offered in sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and there is no other God but one. Well, all over the earth there are idols. And you can find statues and figurines that people bow down to everywhere. And I can give you some examples. When I lived for 12 months in Japan, people often took the remains of their ancestors, had them in an urn, create a, sh a shrine in their a room in their house somewhere, and they prayed to their ancestors. Well, there's no sense in doing that. Paul is saying there's only one God. And just because you're praying to someone, that doesn't mean they're going to hear you. You can think of the people who go into temples in uh, India or Bangladesh 
places in Vietnam, Burma, and they take dishes filled with vegetables and rice and set it in front of the statue, believing that by placing the offering in front of the statue that a spirit will come from roaming the mountains and enter into the statue and speak to them. Paul is saying, despite the fact people do those things, there's only one God, one God, that's it. There are plenty of people in the Philippines who every Easter, because they want to try to reinvent the crucifixion, will have themselves crucified and hung up in front of thousands of people. But I can tell you right now, Christ isn't crucified again because somebody else is doing that. So there are all kinds of idols and temples and offerings that are made to these particular gods. But according to verse 4, there is no other God but one. And from what we know in 1 Corinthians 10, anyone who offers sacrifices to other gods are not making sacrifices to other gods. They're making sacrifices to devils. That's what Paul said. So then in verse 5, though there be what are called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things. So Paul is saying, even though I acknowledge that ancient Greeks consider Zeus to be the highest of all gods, and the Romans believe Jupiter to be the highest of all gods, and even if I acknowledge those titles, I'm telling you that they are not gods and there's only one. So just because people use descriptions, the descriptions don't necessarily bring into existence a God. That's what he's saying. And the ancient term for lords, these were used in other religions too to signify people that had superhuman power. Sometimes they would be half God and half man. He says to us, there's one God, the Father, and he says, we also have one Lord, and that's Jesus Christ. When he says in verse 6, of whom are all things, he's acknowledging Genesis 1. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's the one that made all things that exist. If you follow Genesis 1 all the way through, you'll see that first God creates the conditions and the environment, then he creates the living creatures. He made the light. He made the heavens. Of course, then he made the fowls of the air. He made the waters. Then he created the living creatures in the waters. He made the garden. Then he put man in the garden. He creates the conditions first. Knowing that then changes our perspective on everything. Our beliefs about the creation of the world are different than the beliefs of Native American Indian tribes. Our beliefs about the creation of the world are different from those that are Muslim, are different from people who participate in black magic and witchcraft. Paul says here again, 1 Corinthians 8, unto us, verse 6, there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we're in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom all are all things, and we by him. Then he says in verse seven, everybody doesn't have that knowledge. And the ones who don't have that knowledge live their lives in bondage to various traditions. And, and oftentimes their conscience is affected. So for some with the conscience of the idol unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. 
Now, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the scripture says you have been bought with a price. You are not your own. Your body doesn't belong to you. It was redeemed by the blood of the lamb. It is the holy place of the Holy Spirit. When you became a Christian, the Holy Ghost took up residence in you through the new birth. Now then, I'm to conduct my life as though this is a holy place. Believing that, I'm careful about what I do to this body, what I allow to happen to this body, because this is the residence of God. Now, there are a lot of people who take that and they go to the far extreme and they'll say, now, if you're a Christian, there are certain kinds of foods and meats that you should not eat. And they'll take you back into the law. And in the last 15 years, there's been a movement out here in this region where Christians have tried to mingle the law and grace. And people have tried to take the dietary uh, strictures of the Jewish people and apply them to folks that are believers on this side of the cross. Well, then if, if folks are saying those things, we need to know what they're saying. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 11. And let's see what the Lord told the Israelites they could eat and could not eat. Leviticus 11. Because maybe you've had people tell you in your life, now look, if you're, if you're going to be a, a Christian, you've got to understand, even God told the Jewish people not to eat pork and catfish and shrimp because it's bad for your health. You probably heard that. Leviticus 11, verse 2, speak to the children of Israel and say, these are the animals which you shall eat among the beasts that are on the earth. Then he gives the qualifications. Whatsoever parts the hoof and is cloven footed and chews the cud among the beasts shall ye eat. Well, remember what they offered in sacrifice. Goats, they chew the cud. Sheep. Okay, cows, bullocks. Notice also verse number four. Nevertheless, these you shall not eat of them that chew the cud or of them that divide the hoof as the camel because he chews the cud but does not have a divided hoof. He is unclean to you. So he gives now a list of animals to avoid. And in verse five, he says the coney. Now, if you've ever been to northern Israel in the Galilean region amongst the rocks, there are these critters called conies. They look like beavers that crawl all over the ground and they won't ever leave the rock face of the mountain. They stay right there because they build their nests in those holes and their predators are the eagles and the hawks. And they're constantly trying to swoop down. And get them. And the conies who live amongst the rocks, they see the birds that are up there. And when those predators try to swoop down, they just go in the rocks because quite naturally, the hawks and the eagles aren't going in there. The Lord said for of the coney, you can't have him. He's he's unclean. He said in verse six, you can't eat the rabbit. Anybody here ever had a rabbit before? I love rabbit. Oh, absolutely. I love rabbit. In fact, we had a potluck one time and somebody brought some rabbit on a Tuesday night. Some of you probably ate it and thought you were eating chicken nuggets. You better believe it. 
Verse 7, the swine, how many like bacon? To me, it just seems like anything wrapped in bacon tastes good. But there are plenty of people who won't eat bacon, get angry with you because you may like bacon or pork ribs or pork loin or whatever else. And they'll say to you, even God said it's bad for your health. And they'll, char- they'll cite this, this, this uh, chapter. Verse 8 says, of their flesh you shall not eat and you cannot touch their carcass. That means when they're dead. He continues in verse 9. These shall ye eat of all that are in the waters, that have fins and scales in the waters, in the seas and in the rivers, them shall ye eat. And whatever doesn't have fins and scales in the seas and waters are an abomination to you. Well, what kind of a creature wouldn't have fins? Well, an eel wouldn't have it. But how many of you like sushi? Ever had sushi with the, the eel skin wrapped around? Oh, I just love that. Absolutely. You better believe it. Okay. Well, if we come further down, verse 12 says, whatever does not have fins or scales in the water shall be an abomination unto you. Then he starts talking about birds. Now, we know the children of Israel sacrificed doves, but let's see what they couldn't eat. In verse 13, eagles, osprey, vultures, every kind of a raven. I can see your mouth watering right now. The little owl, the great owl, the swan, the eagle, the stork, the heron, all of these things he said you cannot eat. Now, of course, most of us in here wouldn't eat any of those anyhow. And if you visited someone's house and they went out of their way and said, look, I have found the best pioneer woman recipe that you've ever seen in your life. And I want all of you to sit down and have with me some black raven rice and gravy. I have a feeling that Joe's not going to eat that at all. And there'll be a number of you that would probably decide to fast. But the Lord didn't leave them that way. He did say to them, there are things that they can eat. So look at verse 21. See if this doesn't really rub you the right way. Yet these may ye eat of every flying, creeping thing that goes upon all four, which have legs upon their feet. We're talking about kinds of insects. Now, verse 22, you may eat the locust. Woo! Praise the Lord. Yes. Notice the beetle and then the grasshopper. So people who tell you the law says We shouldn't eat pork. They won't even eat the things the law says they can eat. And at no time in this chapter does God ever say you can't eat it because it's not healthy for you. He says you can't eat it because he declared it to be unclean. God arbitrarily decided on his own what was clean and unclean. When he made Adam and Eve and they sinned and were put out of the garden, Within the days of Seth and with Cain and Abel, sacrifices were being offered unto God. At no time during that period did he say to them, this you can eat, this you cannot eat. But with the law law of Moses that came, 
these declarations became explicit. They knew exactly what they could and couldn't eat. Well, even in Noah's time, he knew what to take on the ark. He knew what to sacrifice to God. He had an idea from the Lord what was clean and unclean. But it wasn't until the law of Moses that he said specifically, you eat this or don't eat that. Now, I could take you on further and show you that we're not supposed to eat mice. But I think you would understand that. That we're not supposed to eat bat. But I think you would understand that. But do you realize that there are cultures all over the world that eat these things? That Tiffany and I have a friend that was raised in South America. He told us that he grew up eating iguana. That was a delicacy. That I was talking to someone this morning and they were sharing about how uh, their parents used to make for them brain when they were little. You know, brains of a cow, brains of a goat. I've had goat's tongue before. Yeah. I've had all kinds of different things. I've told you about going to Indonesia and after that evening service one, I had a lovely service and then we went to that restaurant. It was late at night and they pull out that menu. I didn't understand anything in Indonesian language. So I've got people there interpreting and it'd been nicer if they would have pictures, but they didn't have those. And so everybody else is going around and they're speaking in that language, telling people what they want. Nobody else is asking questions. The friend that was with me from America didn't ask any questions. He knew what dish he wanted. And so when it came to me, I pointed at this. I'm asking, said, what is that? They said, that's cat. C-A-T. I said, well, that's not going to work. I'm not a feline lover that way. And so I said, well, what's this one right here? They said, that is rat. R-A-T. So I'm saying, oh, this is getting worse, you know. So, so I, I, I didn't want that. So finally, I said, what's this one right here? Because it seemed like it was something other people were ordering. And that was bat. B-A-T. So pastor decided at that moment, he's fasting. I just went to bed hungry. And I was hungry. But there was no way on this planet I was going to eat all of those things, not because of my conscience, but just because there's no way I was putting that stuff in my body. It wasn't going to happen. Okay, well, let's come now then and let's go to First Timothy chapter four. There are plenty of cultures around the world that eat foods that you and I would never eat. The Hindu people, because of their religion, are vegetarians. The idea that you would butcher a cow and then cut it up in steaks and make a burger out of that is blasphemous to them because they believe in reincarnation. They believe those animals or even insects are reincarnated figures of someone else's family. They have a different culture. But listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4. The spirit speaks clearly that in the latter times, and we're living in them, some, not all, but some shall depart from the faith. Here's how. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. What's a seducing spirit? A spirit that is attractive and fascinating and seduces a person Further and further away from truth. What's a doctrine of devil? The teaching that emerges from that seduction. So once you've been enticed and captivated by a particular belief, then typically 
a teaching emerges so that you can then transmit that belief to other people. And we see that that all the time with false doctrine and false teaching, whether it comes through a written manuscript or is passed down orally. When someone says to me, you should never eat this food or that food, then I say, why is that food so offensive to you? Now, they may say a doctor told them it's not good for them. I'm not a doctor or a nutritionist. I'm not going to argue with you about that. Somebody else may come along and say, well, it just seems to me like since God condemned it, that we shouldn't have anything to do with it today. Well, going back to what I said to you last time I checked in all of my travels to people's home, no one has served me locusts or beetles yet. But yet the Lord said those are available and clean for people to eat. So if I continue then in these last days, there are doctrines that are moving people further away from God. And if we go back up under the law, we're moving away from the grace of God. Notice verse two. Out of hypocrisy comes deception. The reason he says speaking lies is because these things aren't true. See, it's not true when people start talking to you about these things. Verse three, forbidding to marry. Why would you tell anyone not to get married? But there are sects that claim to be Christian that forbid preachers to get married. Some people overseas condemn marriage as though it's not important at all. And Paul says all of these things are the fruits of seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. If God commanded us to be married and to have somebody in the book of Genesis, why then would someone else come along and tell us we should not practice marriage? No wonder we have so many people shacking up. No wonder so many people look down upon the institution of marriage. There's a seduction that has taken place. Some people believe more in common law marriage than they do in getting a piece of paper, a marriage license. It's a seduction that is taking place. When you hear somebody say, all it is is a piece of paper. That's a doctrine of the devil. It's a doctrine of the devil. They have believed it, they have bought it, and they have received it. Well, he says, continuing, Forbidding people to marry and to abstain from meats. See, different kinds of meats. So again, there's some people that get upset with the folks in the South that like raccoon. Yeah, and, and, and the ones that I've met that, that do eat possum. And, and I've got people that I pastor that when I go visit them, you know they make for Pastor Daryl squirrel. You better believe it. Yeah. And, and there's a whole lot of different things that people eat. How many of you in here like like uh, catfish? How about perch, whiting, crappie, walleye, all of those different kinds of fish I love. But I've had plenty of people tell me I'm not going to eat no bottom feeder like a like a catfish. I say, well, do you like chicken? They're just as nasty. They peck around and eat every kind of insect you can think on planet Earth. So the only way you can come up with a belief like that, you have never walked around a farm to see what animals are doing. I mean, after all, if someone says to you, 
You are to abstain from certain meats. Notice what the Lord said, which God hath created to be received with, what's that next word? Thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. So if you know the truth, then whatever is set before you, you can eat it with a heart of thanksgiving because the king has prepared it. Now, verse verse uh, four gives us even more insight for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. Now, I'm not sure when Paul wrote that he saw that menu that I had in Indonesia. But but it is true that these things can be received. Twelve months in Japan, I don't know how many times I had dog. See, I don't know how many times. I'd go and get my favorite dish called yakisoba, which were noodles with meat and sautéed vegetables. And it was a delicacy over there for people to have dogs. Go to France. I've been to France. They love horse over there. For my 50th birthday in Kazakhstan when I was there, I told you what those people did in the Bible school there because they wanted to surprise me. All the students had me occupied all day, and then I came into the classroom, and then they had put out there all across that table 1,500 pounds or so of a horse that they'd butchered and dressed the meat. You'd never seen that much horse meat in your life. I mean, it had onions and carrots and spices and everything on that. And I mean, they, they, they're looking at me because they're waiting on me. I'm the birthday boy. I've got to be the first one to dive in. And so sure enough, I don't know if this is a cutting horse or a Clydesdale, but I'm going right in and I enjoyed it. See? But again, look at this verse. Number four, every creature of God is good. Nothing to be refused. Well, I have refused some food, and so have you. And there's no doubt that all of us are going to refuse other things. Some of us will do it because we just have preferences. We don't like certain vegetables. You know one of the worst vegetables anybody can eat on planet Earth? It's red beets. Not a good thing, folks. Not a good thing. But the Lord says... It's good and shouldn't be refused. So I don't put my preference on somebody else and tell them you can't eat that. You shouldn't eat that. This is what Paul is talking about. When I sit down overseas and I have to eat stuff that I'm wondering what it is, I just praise the Lord, give thanks to God and pray. Verse five says is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So God's word says It's okay, and prayer makes it okay. And I've had meals where I had to say grace before I ate, and then I said it again after I was done. Yeah. We had Tiffany out there one time. We were over there in that Kenya-Tanzania border, and the Maasai people were having church way out in the bush, and there's nobody out there, not a house or anything, just our car, our SUV, and then people that have walked from wherever they walk. So we get out of the SUV. We're walking into this little building to have church service. And as we're walking up, I look over and I notice there's a little goat tied to a tree. Now, I didn't mention it to Tiff, but I knew that was lunch. 
We just went on in, into that at service and, and good, good service and had, had a wonderful time and praised the Lord. And I knew that while we were in there singing and dancing and they were doing their presentations with us, I knew that goat was sacrificing his life for us. Well, we, when we got out there, sure enough, they had taken that goat and dressed it. And I mean, now that thing is on a skewer and they've cooked it. And so they're getting ready. They're sitting there shaving off the pieces of meat. All these different elders that are sitting around there. There are 10,000 flies. I think every fly in Africa came to the Maasai church that day. And so they're shaving that stuff off. And I'm watching them flies and all of that. And in Africa, you have so many flies, people don't even bother to shoo them away. They say, why do that? They'll just be right back anyhow. So I'm looking at all of this, and and then I've got to I've got to look at my wife as they take that thing over there to her, and they cut that meat off, and I'm watching because I want to see what she's going to do. And, and sure enough, she reached and and she grabbed grabbed it, and pretty soon I got a picture of it. She's looking at it. You can see her examining that piece of meat, but she did eat it. So she's not afraid to try some things. But later, when we were at the Maasai place for the evening service, they had butchered a water buffalo. And so the elders, including myself, we were all sitting up on this porch-like thing, and they feed the elders first, and they save the best parts of the animal for the elders. So the best parts are the entrails and the organs. So here they had everything from the liver the gizzards, the heart, and all of that. And I'm sitting up there, and I'm, you know, watching all of these guys as the, the, the ladies are coming by, and the guys are reaching in. They've got this broth and stuff and potatoes, and they're grabbing it, and they're biting in. I mean, they're smiling. They're telling about how juicy it is and wonderful. And I reached in and just did just like them. I fit in. But then I also knew my wife was sitting over in the SUV, and 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 I had told her kind of a little bit about what what's going to happen. I'm still not sure if she ever rolled the window down for anybody that came over there. But they went over there and she wouldn't even try it. And so you've got to read this verse to Tiffany and to you other ladies. Every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. See, but we refuse things all the time. We draw the line at certain things. Now, I'm reading all of this to say this. Don't let anybody put you in bondage about what you can and cannot eat. If you enjoy bacon, you eat your bacon. If you enjoy lamb, you eat your lamb and don't worry about it at all. If you like quail and you like pheasant, don't let anybody put you in any kind of bondage because Paul already foresaw this where people would try to go back up under the law. He said it's a seducing spirit and doctrine of devil. Now, let's go back to First Corinthians eight and we'll start wrapping some of these things up. First Corinthians eight. All of those things I just said to you about meat. Notice verse eight. But meat commends us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we don't eat are we the worse. So if you choose to decline to eat something, that doesn't make you worse than the person who decides to eat it. But verse nine, but take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. 
If you lead someone to Christ or come to know someone who is formerly Jewish or Muslim, and they were raised never to eat any kind of swine, you've got to understand that even though they're Christian now, there are some people that still struggle in their conscience with eating something that they've never had all of their life because they were taught by their religion, that they should not have it. And if you're going to invite them over for dinner, you can't be arrogant and puffed up, puffed up with your knowledge and say, look, we're free from the law. You can have whatever you want. The Bible says you have to be careful about those that are weak in their conscience. And true love is to prefer that brother or sister and not try to force them to eat what they don't want. Think of how many vegetarians there are on this planet because of religious purposes. Seventh-day Adventists. Think of how many people there are that are vegans. They won't eat anything that even is an animal byproduct. And if you try to engage them, especially if it's a religious motive behind it, you try to engage them, their conscience won't allow them to partake of what you don't see as a problem at all, even if you believe in 1 Timothy chapter 4. So the Bible says don't use your liberty as a stumbling block in front of your brother or sister. That is to say, if we go out to a restaurant and a person doesn't like this kind of food or that kind of food, they don't have to eat it. But if I'm buying my own food, I'm buying what I want. You can have on your plate whatever you want. I'm going to have on my plate just what I want. And this is what Paul is saying. Take heed, verse 9, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. And he does say they are weak. Anyone that puts a limitation, a limitation on what we can and cannot eat, that person's conscience is not strong. And again, I've heard so much of this. Uh, people who are big into uh, uh, training and bodybuilding and all these things, they're, they're, they're into a right diet, a proper diet, and the nutritionists and folks like that will tell you what's bad for your cholesterol and all of that. Maybe so. I'm not a doctor. All I'm saying is from a biblical perspective, you don't have the right to tell somebody that. I will tell you something that I thought was funny, though. A friend recently was telling me about um, talking with someone who was a vegan. And the person became that way because they had some genetic problems in their family. And, you know, everything related to blood and cholesterol was constantly high. And so this guy, being a person who was raised on the farm and a rancher, He's used to eating whatever he wants. I mean, he, he's like John. He sees a cow, he starts, his mouth starts salivating. He, he sees steak walking up and down through the pasture. And, and so he just ate whatever he wants to eat. And he said he went and had all his blood work done. And then he brought all of that information back and then handed it to his friend that was a vegan. And she was higher in every category. Higher than he was. Higher in cholesterol. Hiring everything. Now, now what, what would be the, the issue there? Well, I would assume if you don't like butter, and butter comes from an animal, which pretty much is natural, 
uh, that would be a problem for you in your conscience. But if you're a vegan and you only want margarine, then you're eating something made and manufactured in a laboratory. So you're eating something that isn't, isn't even true as far as coming from the animal. So quite naturally, there are things that people put in their body that isn't right. And they think that because this is the temple, they're being good stewards of the temple without even realizing you're still undermining the, 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 the verity of the law of the word of God, I should say. Let's finish this up. Verse 10. If any man see you, which has knowledge, sit at meat in idols temple. That means if anybody sees you sitting in an idolatrous place of worship. See, if you were to see me sitting in a place of witchcraft, having a meal with people, it would strengthen the conscience of the other person and think, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, as a Christian, I'm not going to sit down in a mosque and break fast, Ramadan fast, with the Muslim and just act as though there's nothing wrong with that. Well, well there is. We, we, we don't want to do that as a Christian. Uh, Tiffany brought this to my attention earlier, how when Paul and them had dealt with the issue of the law in Acts chapter 15, how Paul and them were carrying around this letter that said, okay, we're not going to put any extra burden on you, but stay away from fornication, things strangled from idols, and what's sacrificed to idols. And then in Revelation chapter 2, when the Lord was talking to that one church, Jesus appeared to John and said, you suffer that woman Jezebel to teach my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. If you are a Christian, then you don't want to go into a temple with another religion and then involve yourself with that kind of food at the same time. If someone tells you that all of their food is dedicated to their God, then you've got to be careful about that also. Yeah. Uh, Christians in the Middle East, many of them will not even go into the marketplace where the Muslims are to buy their meat because they know that that meat has to be dealt with according to Islamic law in order for it to be suitable and appropriate. So they just go to Christian butchers. They do that. Well, let's finish this up. Shall not the conscience of him that is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? If they see you doing it, then they'll do it. And through your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? Yeah. But when you sin, when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. So notice this is the personal attack on Jesus. Paul attacked Jesus when he persecuted the body of Christ. Now we're attacking Christ when we offend our brother with respect to our diet. Because if we're misleading them, it's a deception. And then finally in verse 13, wherefore if I, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world stands, lest I make my brother to offend. This is why it's important to take all of the counsel of God as we have it in Scripture. The people who want to go up under the law and keep certain aspects of the law, but not keep all the law, are guilty of the whole law. But since we've been delivered from the law by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, 
my conscience doesn't bother me when I sit down and eat food. There are plenty of people whose conscience does bother them. And I would encourage you, be sensitive to your brethren that are Christians when you come in contact with them. And, uh, you know, as for yourself, enjoy what God has placed on this planet. The scripture says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Yeah. And, and that's the, the beauty of it. Nobody does dinner on the ground and potlucks like our churches do. You can have a little bit of everything out here. You never know. One day there might be deer. See, then another day there might be something else. But my conscience doesn't bother me at all. And in my relationship with God, I understand I'm free to eat and I'm free not to eat. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand tonight. I know that was a little different, but I wanted us to at least come in contact with something that Paul dealt with. And your homework assignment this week is to eat something you don't normally eat. Homework, homework has now been abolished. There's no need to do homework at all. But let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to look into your word It speaks clearly and it speaks forcefully. And with all of the troubles that they dealt with in that early church, I pray that you give us all wisdom to be able to handle every challenge that comes our way. Father,